Now you may go in another direction and say that if God allows suffering, then he's not good. Or if there's suffering in the world and God allows it, then why does he do that? Is he really indeed all-powerful? Is he really indeed sovereign? Or is he really indeed good? Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for joining me in the Fox Den. Today, I want to talk about two things that seem to be incompatible, the sovereignty of God and suffering. Now, these things seem to be incompatible because we tend to think that God wants us to be happy. And since God wants us to be happy, he doesn't want us to suffer. So if God is sovereign and he controls the universe, certainly he would prevent our suffering. But as we reflect on our own lives and even look at the events of the world, we see suffering. So then that brings up other questions. If God wants us to be happy and he doesn't want us to suffer, yet there's suffering in the world, then is God really sovereign? Is he really in control of all things? And then we try to rescue God and say that he's in control of all things, but he doesn't direct suffering to come our way. Well, if that's the case, then God is not in control of all things. And then we try to work it out a little bit, and we would say, well, God allows these things to happen. He just doesn't want them to happen. But even that seems to strike at the sovereignty of God. So does God allow certain things to happen, or does he direct them to happen? Now, this episode is not going to dig into this question in depth, but I merely wanted to kind of show you the path that we follow when we wrestle with these two topics and we try to merge them together, there seems to be an incompatibility. But actually, there's not. And in this episode, I want to help you see how the two work together. So first, I want you to recognize the title of this episode. Notice I didn't title this episode Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. I titled it Suffering in the Sovereignty of God. You see, the two go hand in hand. In other words, our suffering falls within the sovereignty of God. So the title implies what is true. We suffer, yet God is in absolute control. These two things are not opposed to one another. You see, we suffer within God's absolute control. But before we continue, I want to leave you with this little nugget of encouragement. This episode has a happy ending. Now, from this point on, I'm sure There's going to be lots of questions that you have, and perhaps I've already touched on some of these questions. Maybe you do think that God doesn't want us to suffer. He loves us, and he wants what's best for us. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to live good lives. He wants us to have a good life. Well, it's certainly true that God does love his people, and he does want what is best for them. And that means suffering in the sovereignty of God is for our good. Now, you may go in another direction— and say that if God allows suffering, then he's not good. Or, if there's suffering in the world, and God allows it, then why does he do that? Is he really indeed all-powerful? Is he really indeed sovereign? Or is he really indeed good? Let me just say this. To think this way is a distorted view of God. Remember, we're the evil ones. We don't see things clearly. God is good, and he is in absolute control, and that means the suffering we experience has a good purpose to it. Think of taking your child to the dentist. Let's say that there's a cavity or some major tooth issue that your child is having. Likely what's going to happen is the dentist is going to use Novocaine, 
and to apply the Novocaine, he's going to give your child a shot. Now, I'm assuming most of you, if not all of you, have had shots from a dentist. It's not fun. I remember back in the day when they didn't deaden the area before they gave the shot. They just gave the shot. And it's never fun. I remember the first time that my oldest daughter got a shot from the dentist. Let's just say she was not happy. You see, getting that shot was painful. And yet the dentist gave her a shot for her good. He had to fix the problem and he had to deaden the area so he could drill and fix the cavity. It would have been worse for her and more painful had he taken care of the cavity without giving her the Novocaine. So we can't think that God wants us to live our lives with no pain or suffering whatsoever. That's not reality. But keep in mind, there is a good purpose in our suffering. And that's what we're going to look at in this episode. Now at this point, let me take a moment to define the sovereignty of God. I've already alluded to it, but let me touch on a little bit more. Simply put, by sovereignty of God, we mean that God is the ruler of all. He rules the universe. He is the ultimate ruler. There is nobody who rules God. Look at Psalm 22, verse 28. There, David says that God rules over all the nations. And look at Psalm 103, verse 19. There, David says that God's kingdom rules over all. And look at Psalm 135, verse 6. There the psalmist says that God does whatever he pleases. So by sovereignty of God, we mean that God is the ruler of all. The universe is his kingdom. No one rules him and no one is greater than him. In fact, in Psalm 135 verse 5, the psalmist says that God is above all gods. So if God is the ruler of the universe and he does what he pleases, that means he controls everything in the universe. Now let's take a look at Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11. And that question defines providence. And it defines providence as preserving and governing all of God's creatures and all of their actions. Do you see the implications of this? That even the evil actions of a person are governed by God. Does that mean that God is evil? Absolutely not. The Bible is very clear that God is good. He is righteous. He is holy. Mankind is evil, yet God has a purpose for the evil acts of man. You see, even the devil is a tool of God. God and Satan are not co-equals. God is greater than Satan. Satan is a creature. God is the creator. And as the devil acts to destroy God's church, the devil accomplishes the purpose of God. You can't thwart God. He is in absolute control. Now let me footstomp something here. The bad things that happen to us are controlled by God. And I understand that this creates some confusion in our brains, but that's because we have a distorted view of God and, quite frankly, a distorted view of ourselves. You see, God doesn't just allow things to happen. He directs them. Now, this may create a lot of angst inside of you right now. How is it that God can direct bad things to happen? Well, we're going to look at that in a little more depth here in just a moment. But let me say this. If God just merely allows things to happen without directing them, then he's not in control. And that should terrify you. A God who is not in control of everything is scary. It means he's not God. Now let's take a look at several examples of how God directs things for his purpose. He doesn't merely allow them to happen. He actually directs them to happen. And the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at Joseph. And I don't mean the father of Jesus. I mean Jacob's son, and we find him in Genesis. 
Now Jacob had several sons, and his favorite was Joseph, and his brothers hated him, and they set out to kill him. But instead of killing him, they decided to sell him into slavery, and the folks who purchased Joseph took him down to Egypt. And over time, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. And during a famine, Jacob's family comes down to Egypt for food. And so God rescues Jacob and all his sons and all his family by moving them to Egypt where Joseph is. Now there's much more to the story, and you can read from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. I gave you the short version. And as a side note, let me say this. God had to save the family because through another son of Jacob, Judah, Jesus would be born several hundred years later. In other words, so that God would fulfill his promise made in Genesis 3.15, he had to preserve Jacob and his family, and he did so by getting them down to Egypt, where Joseph was second in power. So then we see that Jacob dies, and the brothers are a little concerned because now they think Joseph is going to get revenge. So the brothers ask Joseph to forgive them for the evil that they did to him many years earlier when they sold him into slavery. But look at what Joseph says in verse 19, Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. He tells them, don't be concerned, because what they intended for evil, God intended for good. You see, God didn't capitalize on this situation. When the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, God didn't think, how am I going to get out of this one? Oh, I know what I'll do. No. God knew exactly what he was going to do. God caused his brothers to sell him into slavery so that he would go down to Egypt and become second in power in order to save Jacob and his family, in order to preserve the line of Christ. Again, God didn't capitalize on a bad situation. He was in charge. Now let's take a look at Job. The Old Testament tells the story of Job. and He was a wealthy man and he loved God. And we see in Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, that God points Job out to Satan. And he tells Satan that Job is a blameless and upright man, and he fears God. And Satan responds by saying, Job fears you because you've blessed him. You've protected him. And he tells God basically to smite him, and he will curse you. And God basically says, okay, I give you all that he has. Just don't touch Job. So Satan goes out and wipes out all that Job has and kills his children. And even though Job is devastated by what has happened, verse 22 says that he did not sin and he didn't charge God with wrongdoing. So then Satan speaks to God again. Basically, Satan says, strike him with disease, hurt him physically, and he will curse you. And again, God basically says, okay, you can have him, just don't kill him. So Satan strikes him with a disease. So he has sores all over his body. Now we're not going to look at the rest of Job's story at this point. There is a happy ending, and you'll have to read the book of Job to see how it ends. But this is the reason why I bring up the first part of Job's story. Who initiated all of this? God did. He brings up Job in verse 8. Job chapter 1 verse 8. God's the one who brought Job to Satan's attention. But here's the other thing I want you to see. In Job chapter 1, verse 12, God gives Job over to Satan. He tells him all that he has is yours. You see, Satan couldn't do anything until God gave it to him. But notice this as well. Satan obeys God. You see, at first, God gave all that he has over to Satan and basically said, don't touch Job. And Job loses everything, including his children, but nothing happens to him physically. And then in Job chapter 2, God tells Satan that he can touch Job, just don't kill him. 
So Job gets all these sores, but he doesn't die. Satan obeys God. Satan can't do anything outside the parameters that God sets. God is sovereign. God is in control, not Satan. Anything Satan does is within the parameters that God sets. So to reiterate this point here about Job, God brought Job to Satan's attention. God gave Job's stuff and Job over to Satan. God set the parameters for Satan to work within, and Satan works within those parameters. God directed this. Now again, there may be some angst here, but you have to understand that God is good, he knows what he's doing, and he has a good purpose for this. And again, the Job story has a happy ending. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches at Pentecost. At this point, Jesus has already died, he's risen from the dead, and he's already ascended to the right hand of God. And the disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And Peter goes out in Jerusalem and he preaches. And what does he say in verse 23? That Jesus was handed over to be crucified according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge. Did you catch that? God planned that Jesus would come and die on the cross. And again, God didn't just capitalize on a bad situation. So it's not that Jesus came and lived as a man and things went wrong. And God thought, well, you know what? I can, I can rework this to my advantage. No. Jesus came as a man to die on the cross. And get this, it wasn't just his plan. God knew beforehand. And again, this idea of foreknowledge isn't that God could see the future. God knew the future because he planned the future. So God knew before Adam sinned that Jesus would come and die on the cross. That was his plan. So we've seen how three men suffered in the sovereignty of God. And all three stories had happy endings because God is good and he has a good purpose for the suffering of his people. Now I get it. I understand the angst that this can create. That means that the bad things that have happened to me are under the direction of God. Yes, but if you are a believer in Christ, it's for your good. And we're going to take a look at that a little more in depth here in just a moment. But first, let me address why we suffer in this life. And the first thing I want you to see is that we are sinful and we deserve anything bad that happens to us. In fact, We deserve condemnation for our sin. You see, we're not good people. We're evil. In fact, I talk about this in more depth in episode 9. So if you haven't done so already, listen to that episode. But look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. And there it says there's not a single person who is righteous and who does good and who never sins. And look at Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 18. And there Paul reiterates Ecclesiastes 7.20. None are righteous, none do good. You see, that's not those guys over there, that's us. Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 18 is describing us. We are the ones who are evil. We are the ones who are sinful. And because of our sin, we deserve God's condemnation. Look at Romans 6.23. There Paul tells us that our sin deserves death. The word he uses there is wages. What we've earned because of our conduct is death. So we may wonder why bad things happen to good people, but we forget. That's not true. There's only one good person, and that's Jesus Christ. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to evil people, you and me. So why do we suffer? We live in a sinful world. You see, God's not the bad guy here. We are. 
But there's something else I want you to see, and this is really the nugget of this episode. God uses the bad things in our life for good. Now, don't mishear me here. I didn't say the bad things are good. And trust me, I know that some really horrible things have happened to you. And I don't want to minimize that. And I don't want to be callous here and say, well, you just deserved it. That's not the point. I know that some bad things have happened to to all of us. But if you are a believer in Christ, God is using that bad thing, all those bad things, in your life for your good. So look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And there Paul tells us that God works all things together. And that includes the bad things as well as the good things. He works all things together for good, but not for everybody, for believers. How? I can't always say, but somehow, some way, God stitches all those things together for your good. Think of Joseph, that his brothers would sell him into slavery. They intended evil, and somehow, some way, God used that to save Jacob and his family, Joseph and his brothers. God took that evil against him and turned it for good. Think of Job, who lost everything. And even though I told you to read the story on your own, I'm going to give it away here. God blesses him with more at the end of the story. And think of Jesus, who became a curse for us. He was brutalized and crucified, and he died on the cross. A death, quite frankly, that you and I deserved. And yet that crucifixion turned into his glory and our salvation. Was the crucifixion good? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Crucifixion was never good, but his crucifixion did pay for our sins. But that evil that Jesus endured, God worked together for good. I am fairly certain that some bad things have happened to you. But this is what I want you to know. Somehow, some way, if you're a believer in Christ, God is stitching that together with everything else for your good. And you may not see it on this side of the grave, but I'm fairly certain in eternity you're going to be able to look at that and see how God used that for good. Again, I'm not saying the bad things are good. They're bad. But be encouraged. God knows what he's doing, and he's working it all together for good. So why is this important? Well, first, it reminds us that God is in control. He's in absolute control. Even the bad things in our lives are part of God's plan. And remember, we don't deserve good. We deserve God's condemnation. But God is working those bad things in our life for good. He is in control. He knows what he's doing, and he's working for our good even when bad things happen to us. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but I think this is important because when those bad things happen, you have to know that God knows what he's doing and he's working it together for good. Second, this reminds us that God is not bad. We are. We're the ones who are evil. We're the ones who have sinned against God. I think it also forces us to change our thinking you see, we tend to ask God, why, why do you let this happen, as if God's the bad guy. But he's not the bad guy. We are. You see, in our distorted thinking, we tend to think that we're the good guys and God's the bad guy. We have an elevated view of ourselves, as if nothing bad should happen to me. So I think this forces us to change our thinking and see ourselves through correct lenses. And also, I think all this reminds us that God uses bad things for our good. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I don't I'm not trying to imply that we should be happy when bad things happen. Not at all. I think it's okay to be sad when bad things happen. I think it's okay to be discouraged. But I think what's going to lift us up and encourage us 
is to know that God has not left us. God has not cast us out of his kingdom. God is in control of this, and he's using this for good. And then finally, I think it reminds us that God is in control. Well, here's my assignment for you, and this is going to take some time. But read the story of Joseph, starting in Genesis chapter 37 to the end of Genesis, and focus on Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. And then also read the book of Job. And keep in mind when you read the first two chapters that God is in absolute control. He's the one who directs the whole event, and he sets the parameters for Satan, and Satan works within those parameters. And then notice Job's response when you get to chapter 40. And then finally, I'm going to encourage you to memorize Acts chapter 2, verse 23, and Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, you're going to see that Jesus was handed over and crucified according to God's plan and foreknowledge. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you're going to see that God works all things together, including those bad things that happen to you. He works them together for your good. So let me conclude this episode by encouraging you that God is in absolute control. He knows what he's doing, and he's working for your good, even when it doesn't feel like it. But know this, even in those times when it feels as if God has withdrawn from you, he hasn't. You see, we have this reminder from Jesus himself. He will be with us forever. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can find this episode on several different apps. If you like what I do, please leave a positive review. Please share or tell others about The Fox Den. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. Also check out thefoxdenjournal.com to find articles and other resources. Thanks for listening. 